Good morning, family. Can you hear me? Okay. Good to see you guys. Last week, I got the joy and the privilege to serve our children and to work with some of our uh, volunteers back in children's ministry last week. I really enjoyed that. And for those of you that are part of the team, uh, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you, Sean and others. Uh, Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your prayers, your preparation that you do every week. And for those of you that uh, you're not a part of the team, but you're interested in being a part of the team, just let us know. Uh, Contact us, let us know, and we'd be happy to take you through the next steps on how we do that here at Crossway. Um, I know that he's out of town this morning, but I want to thank Cal uh, for opening God's Word uh, in here last week so that I got the opportunity to be back there uh, last week. Um, Love that guy. Thank you. Thank you, Cal. It also gave me a chance to do some planning and some prayer and some research for where we are going uh, as a church next. I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, This morning we start a new series. It's in the letter of Colossians, and the series is called All of Christ for All of Life. It's a very short letter, but it's packed with some big-time theology. I'm, I'm actually pretty pumped about this. I feel like I'm getting ready to jump into the deep end of the pool with Paul. And I don't have my floaties, you know. So I'm planning on learning some new things. I'm planning on being challenged in some of my, my stuff. And I hope that you guys are ready to be challenged as well. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and read our scripture reading for today. It comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I know, a whole sermon over two verses. But here we go. You ready? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God... And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for being here with us. Now open our eyes that we might be able to see you're here with us today. I think of that verse uh, about the Greeks that came to Philip. And they said, sir, we would see Jesus. And (laughs) that's my prayer today. I want to see Jesus. Lord, we would see Jesus today. Lift his name up, lift him up. Put, put Jesus Christ in all of his glory and in, in, in all of his arraignment on display before our eyes uh, and challenge us today and through the weeks to come. Challenge us. We need you to change us and help us understand and actually believe that you are enough for our life. We love you. It's in your name we pray. pray. Amen. So before we begin, I want to encourage you guys to read through the entire book of Colossians in one sitting, three times this week, right? You're going to get so much more out of the series if you do this. Look, if someone wrote you a letter, a four-page letter, would you start on page two, paragraph three, read that paragraph, shut the letter and go, oh, I really know what they're talking about. That was a sweet letter. Would you do that? No. Good. Some of you said no. I'm really excited about that. You wouldn't read a letter that way if someone that you knew wrote to you and think you understood what they were saying. We should not read the Bible that way, particularly the epistles or letters. 
They're meant to be read as a whole unit from start to finish. You're going you're to get so much more out of the series if you do this, okay? Uh, you get that panoramic view of Colossians. The smaller paragraphs are going to make a lot more sense in the context of the whole letter, okay? So can, can you do that three times this week? Read the whole thing in one sitting. Take you maybe 25 minutes, okay? What I want to do this morning is to set the stage for the, for the rest of the series. So let's start by looking at the backstory of the city of Colossae. Now, Colossae was a city in Asia, Asia Minor to be specific, and it was mainly populated with Greeks and Phrygian settlers, but in the second century B.C., 2,000 Jewish families migrated into the area. That's, that's a lot of immigrants, right? They all pour into this little city of Colossae. And here is what is interesting about this. These Jews mingled with the Asian culture and the Greek culture by the, end, by the end of the first century B.C. So Colossae was a multicultural, cosmopolitan city at this time. Here's the punchline. This was a city where religions and cultural influences mingled, and they actually swapped influences with one another instead of having rigid boundary lines like you'd find in a lot of other cities. People weren't, you know, in their own people group and their own little ghettos. They were mingling and swap. What, what's that belief? What's that? Let's mi- mix this up a little bit. All right, you getting this? Now that's the backstory on the city. Here's the backstory on the letter. First of all, Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. This is one of about four letters that he wrote in chains in prison, and so he's suffering in chains for the gospel, and it flavors the letter. You'll kind of pick up on that as we read through this together. Secondly, Paul has never met the Christians that he's writing to. Isn't that interesting? This is long distance of communication, ancient style. They are total strangers to Paul when he pens this letter, yet he is quick to call them, if you notice in that first verse, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's including them. Epaphras was a co-worker with Paul during his Ephesians ministry, during that missionary journey, and he was actually the one that started this church in Colossae. Now, Epaphras has passed on the tradition, he's passed on the gospel that he received from Paul to others who they in turn believe that tradition, they believe that message of the gospel. So this is like second generation discipleship happening right here. That's what's cool about this. The fact that this little church even exists is pretty neat. It's gone one generation beyond Paul. And it also speaks to the power of the gospel. The gospel is spreading. It is changing lives. So it's obvious when we read from Paul what he writes and the tone that he writes in, these believers have fully embraced the message of Christ that Epaphras has brought to them. They're doing well spiritually, and their lives are being changed by the power of the gospel. However, the believers in this congregation are new believers, and they're not well established in the true gospel yet. They need to mature, and they need to mature quickly. They need to grow deeper roots, and they need to start bearing gospel fruit in light of the pressures that are bearing down on them. 
Most likely, Epaphras has hit the limit of his knowledge. He's hit the limit of his experiences of what he has learned from Paul to help believers combat the cultural and religious pressures they're facing. So he's written a letter to Paul. He's saying, hey, help. And Paul writes back. And that's the letter that's been preserved. That's the letter of Colossae. Are you kind of getting a little bit of how to frame this now? So what are the cultural and religious pressures that are bearing down on the church. Well, that leads us to the problem in Colossae. And this is, this is a, a fun one. The, the problem is the Colossian philosophy. Someone call it the, pro, the Colossian heresy. Uh, but when we come to Scripture, it's important to know what genre we're looking at. Just like when you flip through the newspaper, there's a sports section and then the market section, right? The weather. You need to know what genre are we looking at when we look at the scriptures because every genre has their different rules to interpret them. And there are many different genres in the Bible. There's law, there's, the, there's prophetic literature, there's poetic literature, there's epistles. And there are even sometimes multiple genres even within a book of the Bible. We're going to see this in Colossians. It's mainly a letter. It's an epistle. But there's a hymn and there's creed. So we need to know what we're looking at when we read the scriptures. And one thing that we do know about letters and epistles is that they're occasional in nature. There's an occasion that that something has happened that has caused that letter to be written. Paul, Peter, John, they don't just write letters like of diatribes just because they felt like waking up and doing that one day. They were writing a letter to actual real people because there was a situation, in this case in Colossae, that was going on, and they're addressing it. Usually it's a false teaching, but not always. First Corinthians, there were just some issues going, topics of issues in the church that they needed some answers on. And so that's what he's dealing with in Colossians. And so there's a lot of suggestions offered by scholars as to what was the, actually the problem that's being addressed by Paul and Colossae. Now, at the end of the day, nobody really knows for sure because Paul doesn't give specific enough information. I actually think that's a good idea because it means we can apply it to many different things in our life today. They all agree on the general situation. They all agree generally on the problem. Basically, the false teaching or this philosophy that's influencing the believers in Christ is this, or in Colossae, is this, Christ is not enough. Christ is not enough for you and for your life. Christ is important, but there are other ingredients that need to be kind of added to Christ to kind of round out your spiritual well-being, to round out your experience in this world, okay? This is an understanding of Christ that is deficient, and therefore it is ultimately dangerous to the believers. And so based on the clues we find in the text, here's what I think is, is going on. There's a mix of at least two or more religions or philosophies that are being brought into the church at Colossae. There's a type of Judaism, but it's not formal Judaism. It's more like a folk Judaism. So there's some general ideas of Judaism, but they've kind of augmented it. They've, They've morphed it and changed it a little bit. I mean, the word the law is not even used like Paul usually uses. There's no quotations of the Old Testament. But there are some vague references. So what's going on here is that there's some, uh, there, th- these are people that are relying on human traditions about who God is and human traditions on how the world actually functions and operates as a po- instead of the scriptures to guide their lives. So think traditions, think beliefs that 
have been passed on from like great, 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 great grandma, you know, and the family swears by them now, all right? That, that's kind of this folk Judaism that we have here. And, and also there's these ascetic rules that, that people need to follow to understand God fully. He makes kind of these vague references to what you eat and what you touch, and, but he's not specific about it. Ascetic means being harsh to your body, denying yourself things, and you'll be rewarded by understanding wonderful things about God. You'll be spiritual. Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. That's an exact quote Paul uses later in the letter. Taste what, touch what, handle what, we don't know. They've kind of made that up. They've augmented it, you see. So these are people that claim to be super spiritual and superior because they seem, they appear to demonstrate greater self-restraint in their body, self-restraint in their mind and how they think. Yet there's also Greek and Phrygian religions or what scholars call mystery cults that are thrown into the mix here too. And we're going to see that as we go along. So, so they think this. They think that there are other spiritual forces in the world that need to be feared, and there's angels that need to be worshipped because they mediate true knowledge between the gods or the spirits and mankind. And they do that through visionary experiences and religious experiences of different sorts. They also ward off evil forces, and they bring blessings, so we need to keep them happy. We need to make sure they're taken care of so that they're helping us get through life. And so by acting out private rituals, reciting secret oaths, a person could be initiated into the mystery cult and they would experience salvation, so to speak. They would experience blessings in these mystery cults. Secrets that nobody else knew had been revealed to them and a select few others, which would make someone feel, as you would think, superior to other people. I know something you don't know, right? I'm a little higher up. It's a powerful thing to have a secret that nobody knows about you while you go about your job in society. You don't really know me. And it's like practicing magic in a way. It makes for great stories also when you tell someone of all the mysterious experiences that you had. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be in? So there's this pick-and-mix religious influence or philosophy that's coming into the church. And get this, it's not attacking the gospel outright. It's not a frontal attack on the gospel. Rather, it's trying to combine with the gospel. Let's blend this in and fold it into the dough. It'll be all right. It's kind of like a spiritual gumbo. Just throw that in a pot, mix that up, and that'll be good. You understand what I'm saying? This makes perfect sense considering the pluralistic society that the Colossians lived in. Not only that, but it's likely that people that converted out of the family cult or the folk religion to Jesus Christ brought with them some of their own baggage and their old belief systems that they had with them. I mean, just to hear from whoever these people are, just to hear that all they need to do is add Jesus to their old beliefs and their old practices, just add him to that, that that could make sense to someone. I mean, could you see how that would make sense to them? That sounds plausible. In fact, Paul's even going to say, don't be deluded by plausible arguments. He's not saying they're implausible. They make sense to you. 
They live in a pick-and-mix society, so what's the problem with mixing in a little bit of what they used to believe to what they currently believe about this Jesus Epaphras told them about, right? And isn't this true of our own real-life experiences? Amen? Anyone seen anything relevant to Port Orchard in Kitsap County here? Some of us come or we're confronted with the gospel message from a pure formal religion or a pure philosophy, all right? It's from pure, it's, it's atheism or Islam or Buddhism, right? And that's how we come or are confronted with the gospel. But many people come or are confronted with the gospel from a spiritual gumbo background, a folk religion, so to speak. You know, we think, you know what, I'll take a little karma from that religion because I, I like that and that makes sense. And you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some values like be kind to people and love yourself from that philosophy, because, you know, I like that. That sounds good. That makes sense. It's plausible. And you know what? I'm going to have some couple of practices for my dad. You know, he always wore a, ch- a, a cross around his neck, you know, neck. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to throw that in because that, that seems good. And some rituals from my family that keep me ca- connected to my heritage because that's really important too. And I'll just sprinkle a little Christianity on top, and, and I'll, make, I'll make this mine. I'll personalize this, customize this. And and here's, when we do that, here's what's going on underneath this. Christ alone can't possibly be enough. Like, he can't cover all of that. There's no way. So I'll just use what I agree with. I'll use what I like and is useful that helps me make sense of life. Because I'm trying to make sense of life. It's not a bad reason that people are doing this. They, they, that's, that's what they want to do. I, you know, that will give me spiritual fullness. That'll give me spiritual completeness and round this out for me and guide me in my life. It'll keep me from missing out on anything important because I've covered all my bases. I, I'll practice my formal religion on Sunday morning. And during the week when it counts, I'll practice my folk religion that's been handed down to me. And I'll be covered. I'll be covered. But then we hear, then we're confronted with Jesus, not Christianity. We're confronted with Jesus is Lord. And we wonder, okay, how does Jesus fit into this spiritual gumbo I've been eating my whole life? I'm trying to make sense of this. That's the backstory of some new Christians that come into the church, Crossway. That may be the backstory of some of you today. And I just want to say, welcome to Crossway. We are glad you are here. We're glad you're here with all your doubts. We're glad you're here with all your questions and all the stuff about Jesus and Christianity that doesn't make sense and you may not like. We're glad you're here. We want you to investigate Jesus with us because we are investigating Jesus too. We're glad you're here. But see, Paul addresses this situation in in Colossae in a very interesting way. He does it by, yes, engaging the false philosophy a little bit. He does. He kind of pinpoints some of this stuff. 
but primarily what he does is sets before them and before our own eyes a dazzling display of how glorious Jesus is. You understand what I'm saying? Paul is going to strengthen the faith of these young believers, not primarily by focusing on the problem and what they brought from their past. No, he's going to mainly focus on the solution. That's going to be his emphasis. So in this series, we're going to limit our time to three main things. We're not going to cover every single verse, sorry, okay? But we're going to, if we did that, we'd be here till September, okay? And we just got other stuff to talk about. We're going to limit our focus and limit our time to three main themes. And here they are. The first theme is Christ is superior to all powers and rulers. Christ is superior to all powers and rulers. Look at chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Now let that blow your brain for a second. He's, you can, he's what you can see of what you can't see. How's that work? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. The Jesus we're going to meet in Colossians is pretty epic, family. Okay, this is not the humble little carpenter from Galilee plying his trade. No. No, 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 no. That will not do. This Jesus is the ruler of all things in all the universes for all time. Get this, at the same time. That's Jesus. He is cosmic and his rule is universal. His rule knows no boundary lines. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is the God-man. He is the creator of Jesus. Jesus is the creator of everything that exists. And Jesus is the recreator of everything that is his. We're going to see that show up quite a bit in the first chapter. To put this in boxing terms, Jesus is the unquestioned, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the cosmos and all points beyond. If it exists, he rules over it. Christ is superior over all angels. Christ is superior over all evil spirits and demons that work destruction and lies in the world. Christ is superior over all government rulers. Christ is superior over all systems of social classes that would divide us. Christ is superior over all human regulations and human teachings. Christ is superior over all suffering. Christ is superior over all obstacles to the gospel changing in the individual's life, whole neighborhood whole cities and whole countries. He's superior to all rulers and authorities. That's Jesus. Second theme is that Christ is sufficient to meet every need for the believer. Christ is sufficient to meet every need for the believers. Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Now check this out. This is, this is cool. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those that are in Laodicea, that's a, that's a nearby city, for all who have not seen me face to face. 
that their hearts may, this is what he's struggling, this is what he's working towards, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches and full assurance. You see that loaded language? To reach, it's not unreachable. You can reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery. See that mystery cult language? I want you to reach what's a mystery. I want you to know what's a secret, which is Christ. Christ is the secret that's been exposed that everyone can know. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures. Where are all these treasures? It's in Christ. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's a treasure trove. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There it is. Remember I said earlier how some people, they come to the gospel, they wonder, you know, honestly wondering with good motives and good intentions. They say, look, how does Christ fit into my spiritual gumbo that, that I've, that's been working for me all my life? How, do, how does he fit in that spiritual gumbo? Well, one of the things that Paul is going to say and emphasize in this letter is that Christ doesn't fit into your spiritual gumbo. And, and it's, not for reason, it's not what you think. Here's why he doesn't fit in your spiritual gumbo. Because Christ is so satisfying. Christ is so comprehensive to your entire life that you should throw your spiritual gumbo out, no matter what's in there. Your gumbo actually looks pretty like incomplete and lukewarm when it is matched up to the treasures and the riches and the fullness that is in Christ. Why would you want to keep sampling that? Why would you want to dilute that? Because Jesus is superior to all rulers and powers, because Jesus is God himself in all his fullness, that means Jesus is sufficient to meet every single need, every single time, for every single believer, for all time. That is Jesus. Can you see him? That is Jesus. So this means that Jesus is more satisfying than any God you've ever worshipped. I know that may be hard to believe for some of us, but he is more satisfying than any God you've worshiped or philosophy you followed. Jesus is more satisfying than, yes, even our family. Family. He's more satisfying than our wife or our husband or our mom or our dad or even our own children or brothers and sisters. Jesus is more satisfying than rule-keeping. He is more satisfying than self-made, pick-and-mix spirituality. Jesus is more satisfying than mystical experiences. Jesus is more satisfying than sex. He's more satisfying than money. He's more satisfying than fame or power or our work or our social status or even chocolate. He's more satisfying, all right? Jesus is sufficient. Listen, he is sufficient to meet every need for every believer. Amen. Third theme. Third theme is that every part of existence now is affected by Christ's liberating rule. Every part of existence now is affected by Christ's liberating rule. Uh, let's go Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, 
As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received him, now walk in him. Oh, you heard him? Great. Now live like him. Verse 7, and how? How do, you, how do you walk in him? He goes on to explain what he means. Rooted and built up. That means going down into him and going up and established. Rooted in him, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in, not complaining, in thanksgiving. That's what rooted people sound like. They sound thankful. (laughs) Because this sweeping cosmic good news is actually true, it by necessity has an effect on our earthly life right now. That's what Paul's going to press and press and press till we're uncomfortable with it on our life as we read this. In fact, every part of existence is now affected by Christ's liberating rule. There is not a spot in your life, there is not a spot in my life that say Jesus is off limits. You don't have something to say about that. Every part is affected by the good news. In other words, the good news cannot be true. And the believer of that good news remain fundamentally unchanged at the same time. That's not possible. That can't happen. Christians are to live right now in light of how they're going to be living forever and ever and ever. We live in the kingdom now because the kingdom is coming and has even come in Christ. Every part of our life, guys, is reshaped by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Our interactions with God are reshaped. Our interactions with other believers are reshaped. Not destroyed, I said reshaped. Our interactions with people of other ethnicities is reshaped. Our interactions with people of other social statuses are reshaped. Our interactions with the other gender are reshaped. Our interactions with our own desires are reshaped. How we identify ourselves is even reshaped because we are now in Christ. What's Paul say? To the believers, right, the saints and the, the, the faithful, who are in Christ at Colossae. You may be at Colossae, you may be at Port Orchard, but you're in Christ. That's where you're located. That's your identity. That's my identity now. The most fundamental spheres of our lives, our family, our work, our church, our community, and even ourselves, our self-identity is reshaped and liberated by the truth of the gospel. This is good news. This is set you free good news. This is not Sunday morning, affects me for an hour type stuff, formal religion stuff, right? Every part of the most fundamental, central core of who we are and who we are as a society is affected by the gospel. So let's, let's end like this. I'm going to try to land the plane if I can. When we, when we live in a pick-and-mix society, it's easy to believe that everything goes. Everything's fine, like the society we live in now, Okay? Uh, no one's really wrong. Nobody's really right. Everything, everything's copacetic. But listen, something profound gets lost in that kind of philosophy. Do you know what gets lost? A voice of authority. A voice of authority. 
You see, guys, the truth is that, look, whether we're courageous enough to even admit this or not, we all long for a prophetic, authoritative voice that can speak truth into our life and guide us through life at different points in life. We all want that. Did I turn out all right? Did I do this right? Am I going the right way? Like, right? We all long for that at different points and periods in our life. So let's go back to the first two verses that we, that we read when we started this whole thing. Okay, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul is going to talk later on in the letter about how we are all one in Christ. So on the one hand, all believers are equal in dignity. They're equal in their standing before God. They're equal in their access and salvation. Yet on the other hand, there are distinctions in regards to roles and responsibilities. And that's actually a good thing. That is a beneficial thing. You see, we need a voice of authority that is outside of our own skull to guide our life. You're doing this right, kid. You're going the right way. Well, good job, son. I'm proud of you. We all want that, and we actually need that. And we get that voice of authority in the apostle Paul. Are you tracking with me? Here is why we can trust Paul as he exerts his distinct role, as he exerts this authority of apostleship. You ready? It wasn't his idea. <laughs> That's why you can trust him. Wasn't his idea to be apostle. Paul did not wake up one day and say, hey, you know what? I want to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to do with my life. No, in fact, it was the last thing he ever wanted to do. Isn't that crazy? He was made an apostle, not in accordance with his will, but he explicitly says in accordance with the will of God. If you don't believe this, you can go read Paul's story yourself. And it's in the book of Acts, somewhere near the end of uh, chapter 7, I believe. Being an apostle, being in that role, hasn't necessarily made his life any easier, by the way. Paul's writing this letter from prison in chains. Remember that? He, he didn't take on this distinct role in the church for the perks and the benefits, though he has a certain amount of authority and power. You guys see that? It's made his life harder, as good leadership usually does for the leader. We'll talk about that in, in the weeks to come. As he's writing Colossians with the authority, because he doesn't shirk that distinction, as he writes with the Colossians with the authority of an apostle of Christ, he's doing this to strengthen their faith in Christ. He's explicit, I just read in chapter 2, that you might be rooted and built up, established in the faith, right? To encourage your hearts, knit together in love. Here's why he's exerting his authority in, in that apostleship, that, that they may be blessed, that you may be served, you may benefit, you may be built, have fruit coming from your life. 
In verse 2, Paul includes the Colossians in the family of God. This is, this is amazing. He actually uses words that normally refer to Jewish believers and thereby includes the Gentiles in the heritage and the history of Israel. Your part. Your part. Gentiles are equal in Christ. There is no distinction. In other words, Paul is using his distinct role to serve the people of God, not serve himself. Are you guys picking up on that? That matters. When you add all these facts together, this is leadership and authority that you can trust. Guys, everyone longs for a voice of authority to speak guidance and help into their life. You know, I believe, particularly about men, I believe that young men, young boys, they need to hear three things from their dads at an early age and often. They need to hear, I love you, I am proud of you, and you are good at X. You're competent. That's exactly what the father told his son at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I well please. You should listen to him. Those are the three things that Jesus heard. That's, that's for free. That wasn't in the nose. But, but I'm just trying to make the argument in the case. We all long and we all need a voice of authority outside of our own head that guides us in life that we can trust. And get this, everyone uses an ultimate source of authority. Everyone. Regardless of philosophy or religion or no religion, what everyone has, this is my ultimate source of authority. And so we need to just be honest and get that out on the table, every one of us, okay? What I'm saying is that is not unique to the Christian. And don't let someone tell you, well, that's just Christians and that's a burden you bear. No, everyone bears that burden. But for the Christian, the scriptures are our voice of authority, This is how we hear God and what guides us in life. So one of the reasons that we can trust the scriptures is because they were written by men that did not seek their own power and did not seek their own authority. They were actually called, in some cases, against their own will, but in accordance to the will of God. And they used that authority not to control, but to include and to serve the people of God. And this is why you and I can trust the scriptures, one of many reasons. And I hope that you will. I hope that as we go along in this and you see something like, I don't know if I believe that, or I don't even like that, and that rubs you the wrong way, that you come back to this message, you come back to these facts. No, I can trust what the scriptures say. I can trust who wrote that. I can trust God. I'll give that a thought. I'll give that a minute. You can trust the scriptures. They're for your good, for my good. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, King and Cosmic Jesus, you are so big. You are bigger than we know and imagine. 
And you are so wonderful. You are so glorious. I pray that today we've seen a little bit of just the panorama view of how just dazzling you are. Forgive us for making you small, but open our eyes to see you to where we'd say, we want to follow you. We want to worship you with our life, our earthly, everyday life. God, I pray that you would expose the folk religions that we have and beliefs and that we would come to trust and rely and lean upon the fact that, Jesus, you really are enough. In fact, you're more than enough. You're sufficient and you're superior And we don't have to be afraid to leave old things behind. You are are all that we need. It's found in you. Help us believe that. So God, I just thank you in advance to what you're going to be doing the next few uh, weeks and months. Shape Crossway. Change us into people that glorify your name right here. We love you. We love you. Amen.